0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Barker of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Oak Breast, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. We're continuing this holiness study today. Today is week 13 of this. Look at holiness. And I know what many of you might possibly be thinking right now. Oh my goodness, seriously? Week 13? Can we, you know, we're still talking about the same thing. Can we just move on to something else? Well, it is week 13. And I said this the last time I preached, and I, I still mean it today. I believe it to be true. Holiness is the, in my opinion, the single most important pursuit we can make as Christians. Most important thing we can do as Christians. So it's that important. So it is week 13. So, so far in this study, we have looked at several things. We have looked at how God has chosen the word holy to be the one attribute that He gets repeated for eternity, past, present, future, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We saw that in the book of Isaiah, we saw that in the book of Revelation, where that is the one attribute of God that is repeated continually for all time. We have looked and seen that there are a lot of attributes of God. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's kindness, there's wrath, there's all these things, but they're all wrapped up in His holiness. He loves us, but He loves us with a holy love. He's kind to us with a holy kindness. He's wrathful with a holy wrath. So holiness is at the center of God. We've looked at God the Father. We've looked at God the Son. We've looked at the Spirit of God who is also holy. We've had a foundational verse for all these months. Book of Leviticus, chapter 19, we started there. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness is at the center of everything about God, and it should be the center of who we are as Christians. Holiness is at the core of every single thing. And then last week, we had a verse that said, Without holiness, it is impossible to see God. Didn't say it was difficult. Didn't say it was challenging. It said it was impossible to see God. Holiness is the key that unlocks the door for everything we do. So, yes, it's week 13, but it's just that important. Over the years, I've been in ministry a long time, and over the years I've heard something along the effects of this. I've heard people say, I just don't get it. I'm reading my Bible. I, I'm coming to, to the church services every single week. I'm, I'm going to small groups. I'm even tithing. I'm doing all of these things, and I just, I just don't see God. I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God. Can I tell you in, in love, it might be a holiness issue. Holiness is at the center. It's the key that unlocks the door. So today we're going to talk about holiness once again. And we're going to do it by looking at two mountains that are talked about in the Bible. Two different mountains. Both of these mountains, they represent a pathway to get holiness in our lives. Now, spoiler alert up front, one of these paths, even though it's a path presented in the Bible, it's an absolute impossible way for us to see the holiness of God, to get the holiness of God. The other path is an absolute 100% money-back guaranteed path that will give us holiness with God. So today I'm going to give you, how do you get holiness in your life? I'm going to tell you how not to do it how to do it. Both of these are in the Bible. Two mountains are compared. And it's going to be good news for us today. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to give you a second to do that. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 18. Um, and I just want you to be there. We're going to spend the whole day, most of the day there. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. We uh, Last week, Brent was in Hebrews 12, the earlier part, and we looked at how uh, God disciplines those He loves, and how this is the same thing, it's been pursuing holiness. We're going to pick that up today with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, is so where we're going to start. So here we are in our study. It might be frustrating because we have learned all this this summer that, that, that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that holiness is at the core, and that God says for us to be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And maybe for the last 12 weeks you've been on this journey, you've been trying to live holy, you've been doing things in your life saying, I, I'm, I'm giving it everything I've got. You believe it to be true, but you're at a point now where you're just kind of coming frustrated because it just doesn't seem to be happening. It doesn't seem to be working for you. I have incredibly great news for you today. Today's message is to make sure that nobody is driven away, to make sure that nobody is frustrated and gives up on this holiness thing. Uh, You've heard all this holiness talk over the summer, and maybe you've just given up saying, I just just can't do it. I've tried, I've tried, I can't do it. Today I'm going to give you two mountains. One path is absolutely impossible. The other path is a 100% guarantee. Do this, and you will have holiness in your life. Does that sound like good news to you? (laughs) It does to me, okay? Two mountains. Contrast between these two mountains. Here's the mountains. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Now they sound a lot alike, but there's a drastic difference between the two. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Okay, and I'm going to probably screw this up a few times today, but just know that Sinai is on my left, Zion's on my right. So if I say Sinai over here, I mean in Zion. If I say, you you all with me? Okay, so Sinai and Zion are the two mountains we're going to compare. Sinai is in the desert. This is where, you might know the story, this is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is where the law was given. Zion It's in Jerusalem. It's the city of God. It's the place where Jesus Christ died. He rose again. It's where grace was given. Two paths, two different ways to holiness. Law, grace, two mountains, two paths to holiness today. Let's look at these two mountains. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 18. You have not come. Say that with me. You have not come. Say it. Okay, y'all say it better. You have not come. Okay, okay, good. I know I know it's weird, but we got to we got I want you to understand, you have not come to a mountain mountain that can be touched and then is burning with fire. We're talking about Sinai. To darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death eye was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You have not come to this mountain. Verse 18, it's the very first thing that was said. This is Mount Sinai. As believers in Jesus Christ, as a new covenant people, this is not our mountain. So what was this mountain like? If we go back to the book of Exodus. We're not going to do it now, but you could read it later. later. Exodus chapter 19. It's, the, it's leading up to where the Ten Commandments are given. And we see in a lot more detail what this mountain was like, what Mount Sinai was like. In that passage, it's one of the most unforgettable scenes in the, in the whole Bible, and we kind of get the cliff note version here. And, and he, Y'all know what cliff notes are? Do y'all younger kids? Do we still have those? Is that a thing? You still have those? Okay. Yeah. Cliff really helped me through a lot of classes. I'm just saying. Okay, I'm moving on. All right. But read the books. You're supposed to read the books. Time out. Back to the sermon. Okay. Sorry, that was a rabbit. That is not what this mountain like. Exodus 19 was a lot more detailed. So here's the situation the Israelites are at the foot of the mountain, and God has put a barrier between Himself and them. He says, You're not allowed up here. God wanted a barrier between Him and His people. God was on this mountain. No one was allowed even close. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's darkness, there's fire, there's trumpets blaring. It's not pretty trumpet sounds. This is like, I can imagine, like the loudest, most Horribleest sound you can possibly imagine. All it looks like a scene from a horror movie. And God, in the middle of all that, is speaking. Is speaking. No one's allowed to even close. They had to to wash themselves before they could even get close. They had to wash their clothes before they could get close. They had to purify themselves for a week before they could even get close to this mountain. But if you get too close, you will die. If anything even touches this mountain, this is a path to holiness. This, movie, this, this is a scene out of a horror movie. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible scene. But what an incredible experience, though. I mean, seriously, can you imagine being there? Let's take just a second and imagine that we're there. We're standing around the foot of this mountain. And up top we see this thunder and this lightning and this smoke and this, this trumpet sounding. And, and, and in the middle of it, God is speaking. And I can't even attempt to, to tell you what that voice sounded like because there's no way I could do it justice. But can you imagine being there and having an experience like that? we might think, oh, that would be incredible. That would be just awesome. I would love to hear God speak like that. I would never want that to end, but that's not what happened. Look at verse 19. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Can you imagine God speaking? you saying, please, God, stop. I beg you, quit talking. That's what they did. Verse 21, if that wasn't alarming, even more so. The sight was so terrifying that Moses himself said, I am trembling with fear. KJV says that Moses said, I exceedingly fear. My version, he was really, really, really scared. You know? Moses, the pillar of our, one of the pillars of our faith, scared to death. So, so here we might stop and think, okay, yeah, we we, we would tell him to stop, I can't take any more, but you might also think, but what a life-changing experience. That, that fear that they had there and just seeing that one experience with God and seeing how real He was and majestic and awesome and powerful, just seeing all that, I'm sure that that changed them forever and forever. Just that one experience alone would ever do it. Maybe you say to yourself, if I could ever just have that one incredible dramatic experience with the Holy Spirit of God, then I will live holy for the rest of my life. Maybe you've heard stories, those people that, that sometimes you hear in testimonies, they say that they were in a life and death, no win type of situation. And they'll pray something like, God, if you will just get me out of this, then I'll live for you for the rest of my life. You ever heard that testimony? I don't deny it. I believe it to be true. But can I tell you, I believe that to be the exception more than the rule. Because these people here... What happened with them? Just not too much longer. One month later after this experience here, where they see this incredible, majestic voice of God. One month later, they're putting together a cow out of gold. One month later, and they're dancing around it and singing it. One month after seeing and hearing literally the voice of God and seeing this powerful experience, one month later they're saying, "Oh, I'm going to dance around this cow. That doesn't even make sense, right? But how often do we do that kind of stuff? Here's the thing, you cannot, please listen to this, you cannot be scared into holiness. You can only be loved into holiness. You can't be scared into holiness, you can only be loved into holiness. So here we have this Mount Sinai. You can't get close to it. It's a path to holiness, but you can't get close to it. If you touch it, you're going to die. There's smoke, there's fire, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, there's trumpets. It's, it's a scary, scary place to be. God, please stop. I can't handle any more. So put that in your mind, and let's remember Sinai. But now let's go to Zion. Verse 22. Here's the contrast. Don't forget Sinai. But now let's read about Zion. Verse 22. But you have come. Say that with me. But you have come. Say it. That's good. Okay. With a little bit of heart, but that was good. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So after this painting, this vivid picture of Sinai, the writer of Hebrews says... That's not our mountain. Our mountain, forget about it, our mountain is Mount Zion. As Christians, we live at Mount Zion. And let's look at these verses here that describes this mountain to us. It says it's to the city of the living God. Sinai was in the desert. It It was isolated. It was all by itself. Zion is a city surrounded by people. And not only that, it's a living God. Here's a God we can't approach. Here's a living God. It's to the heavenly Jerusalem. Sinai is associated with Egypt, but Zion is associated with heaven itself. Thousands upon thousands of angels. At Sinai, there were a few angels that delivered the law to Moses. But at Zion, thousands upon thousands, multitudes of angels, all joyfully assembling together, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and we join in with them. Mount Zion. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Sinai was for Israel only, for God's people. Zion is for all those who are believers, all the redeemed. Next part, you've come to God, the judge of all. Time out. So up to now, everything's been kind of good, right? Like This is awesome. This is a good place. Sinai is awesome. Uh, Zion is awesome. Sinai's bad. Zion is a good place. But here it says, you've come to God, the judge of all. I can almost hear the, the, the brakes screeching here like as we're reading this for the first time and hear this the first time going, okay, yeah. City of living God, good. Heavenly Jerusalem, awesome. Thousands one thousand, thousands, really good. Church of the firstborn, names are written in heaven, yes, to the judge of all. Whoa. That's what just happened here. So here's what, it's, it's Sinai. God was obviously the judge of all there. There's no doubt about it. Fire, smoke, brimstone, all that stuff God's judging there. Don't get close, you'll die. We see that. He's really serious about this. At Zion, I think the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that God does, is not done with this judging thing. That God is still the judge of all. Zion doesn't do away with God as the judge of all. He's still the judge of all, not at all. He is the judge of all still. He is ju- judging humanity still, still doing it today. But Zion satisfies the judgment of God, and Sinai didn't. That's the difference. Over at Sinai, the judgment of God was not satisfied. At Zion, God's judgment is satisfied. Another way to say it, at Sinai, y'all with me on Sinai, Zion? I'm going to say this a lot, so just stay with me. At Sinai, the justice of God was yet to be satisfied. At Zion, it has been satisfied. God's justice, God's judgment This is why in verse 24 it says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That is why Zion, that is why we're justified at Zion. This is Gospel 101 here, but it's so important for us to understand. This is why it is satisfied at Zion, because Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. You see, Sinai was before Jesus, and Zion is after Jesus. Jesus Christ, the only person who's ever existed that was two things at the same time. He was fully man, and he was fully God. He's the only one that's ever done that. That is why he earns the right of being the mediator between God and between man. And God has now, through his son Jesus, has satisfied his justice through his son Jesus. This is Gospel 101. And that's why at Zion it was satisfied. At Sinai, over here, here's the Old Covenant... It's kind of a, um, an earn it and deserve it mentality. And it goes something like this. God, I've to, um, I've got to earn your favor. I've got to do things. I've got to do better. I've got to act better to earn your favor. But over here at Zion, it's more about just believing and receiving. So we have earning and deserving, and over here we have believing and receiving. God, I accept it. I accept it. God, I've got to do better. I've got to act better. This is a path to holiness, and this is a path to holiness. We can earn... Try to deserve and earn holiness in our lives, or we can believe and receive holiness in our lives. One way absolutely doesn't work. One way all the time works. Are you all with me? Believe it and receive it. Believe and receive the holiness of God in our lives. Oh, my goodness. I know this scratches us the wrong way. You know, it's hard. This is hard, right? Because we so much in our personalities want to be like this. I got to earn it. I got to do better. God says, accept it. Accept it. Second part of this verse 24, it says, "...into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel." So what's he talking about here? So, Abel is the first recorded one that we know of that offered a blood sacrifice in the Bible. Now Adam and Eve likely did it and probably others did it, but Abel is the first one that was recorded that offered a blood sacrifice. And so throughout the Bible, and so When I was growing up, uh, you know, as a little kid in church, we didn't have kids' church and all that stuff. We just all were in there, you know. And so um, I remember as a little kid hearing blood, 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 blood. We'd sing songs and hymn books about blood, 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 blood. And as a little kid, I'm like, ooh, that's disgusting, you know. But then I got to be like a 9 and 10-year-old boy. And I'm like, cool, you know, blood. But I didn't really know what I was talking about, right? But the, our song book is full of blood, blood, blood. And I would hear the sermons about the blood. But can I tell you, the Bible is full of blood. Like, it's, blood is throughout the Bible. But here's what the Bible says about blood. It says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So blood has to be shed. So Abel is the first recorded, and he offers a sacrifice. And he's just one of all the many. We've talked about this in here recently even. How the high priest would go once a year and offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. The blood sacrifice. How they continually had to offer these guilt sacrifices. Blood, blood, blood. But it says, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what is it talking about here? It's talking about the blood of Jesus. That this was a continual ongoing thing at Sinai and that whole covenant. Here, a once and for all, Jesus has paid the price with His blood. It's a better covenant. The sprinkled blood of Jesus is poured out on the cross. It's better. Justice has been served once and for all. This is, this is, this is 101 here. Gospel 101, but i got to say it as clear as I can. Jesus has paid the price. The blood of Jesus has paid the price for your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, your every single one of my sins. And here's what we think as Christians. I hear you. I understand it. I even kind of believe it. But I've done so many bad things, i got to earn God's favor. No, you don't. If you have to earn something from God that negates what Jesus did on the cross, and we don't want to do that. The blood of Jesus has covered every single one of our sins. And that is the way to holiness. That is the path to holiness. You have come to Mount Zion. So we contrasted these two. We have Sinai's earn it and deserve it kind of mentality. And Zion is a believe it and receive it. We come to Zion, church. We believe it and we receive it. I want to stop. Because we have a really genuine problem right here with this. I mean, we really do as Christians. There are so many Christians. I've met them. And, and be honest, I've struggled with this in my own life. So many of us struggle with this, and, and so many Christians I've met struggle with this. But I can tell you I'm getting better at this. But here's, here's, what, here's where we struggle. We struggle as Christians having a Mount Sinai mentality. And it goes something like this. We base our relationship upon God with what we do. It goes something like this, so I'm having a really good day, so God really loves me a lot more. I'm having a bad day, so God at His best maybe is just being patient with me. Anybody feel like that sometimes? That's Mount Sinai. Earn it and deserve it. I do a lot of weddings, and I use the word unconditional love in those sometimes. Sometimes the the couples choose their vows, and they talk about loving each other unconditionally. You know what that really means? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Honestly, because even though they say the word unconditional as human beings, we can't love unconditionally. We can try our best, okay? We can do our best at effort we can, but really for us to fathom what unconditional love is like, we can't really do that. God loves us unconditionally. What that means is when I'm bad, He loves me just the same as when I'm good. My best efforts are but filthy rags in His sight anyway. My best. He loves us unconditionally. But so many Christians, we live with this Sinai mentality. God, I got to earn it. I got to earn your favor. God, I got to do better. I, I want. I, God, I I just. I'm trying. I want to do better. I want to do. And here's this thing: we're looking at this whole holiness thing, and some of you we're still struggling with this because we're like, okay, I got, I got to do better. I'm gonna get up to. And it's like the diet that you're always starting. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna live holy tomorrow, kind of thing. Like I screwed up yesterday, but tomorrow I'm gonna do better. And we're always in this vicious cycle. You can't. You can't earn and deserve the favor of God. Now, that doesn't mean we just throw the towel in and go, I'm going to live like I want to. The Bible clearly says we're not supposed to do that. But holiness cannot be received this way. Are you all with me? Holiness is only received by Jesus. Thank you. I believe it. I receive it. And then the love of God captures our heart and it changes us from the inside out. We don't live the holy life because we're trying to earn God's favor. We live the holy life because God loves us so much that we want to please our Father. There's a big difference there. You see it? You with me? I'm so far off my notes. I don't even know where I am. God loves us so, so incredibly much. And this isn't to say that we've, uh, we haven't learned a lot from Mount Sinai. I mean, we have. God Clearly, early on in the Bible showed us how serious he was about holiness and about living up to his standard and about... I mean, he put fire and smoke and all that, you know, just to... I think he's showing, I'm really serious about this holiness thing. Holiness is, is threaded throughout the Word of God, and it started very early. And then there's the blood, all that stuff. So we learn from Sinai. Because under, honestly, we can't understand Zion without first looking at Sinai. With me? We, we can't understand just what Jesus has done unless we understand what had to be done. What had to be done was something that was absolutely impossible for us to do. And the only one who could do that was Jesus himself. This mountain, you get close, you'll die. Can I just say that th- what Jesus did was he went straight at the mountain. And he died. And he died. For us. Jesus went to Sinai. I know that's a little metaphorical, but Jesus went there for us and took all of it for us so that we could go to Zion. So some of you, I know maybe you do struggle with this. We, we all do. But if, if you're living at Sinai and you're living in this perpetual, i got to earn the favor of God. i got to earn it. i got to earn it. i got to earn it. i got to do better. i got to do better. Can I just tell you, today may be the day for you to pack up your tent and... and and get out of Dodge, and, and go to Zion. Go to Zion. That's where you're supposed to be. So, Jesus, he did, he did go to Sinai for us, because Jesus said clearly in the Word of God, He said Himself, He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And that's absolutely what He did. Jesus fulfilled every single one of those laws. The Ten Commandments, and there's 600 and some odd, Laws that are given in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. He didn't undo it. He just fulfilled it. Over here, the wrath of God, the justice of God is not satisfied. But because of Jesus, because Jesus fulfilled every single bit of it, shed His blood on the cross, now it's fulfilled in Him. The justice of God is now satisfied at Zion. You with me? You with me? Okay, good. How sad it is when a Christian is born at Zion and then makes the trek to Sinai. And by the way, that's the only way to be born. That's the only way to become a Christian is, is at Zion. That is the only way. We said, Jesus, I believe and I receive it. And God, thank you. Thank you for this forgiveness that you've given in my life. And then somewhere along the, uh, the journey as a Christian, it, it happens to us. And we say, this is too easy. I, I just by faith, I just received this. It's way too easy. I you know what? I got to do better than that. And and we actually make ourselves sound godly in doing this. I got to go to Sinai and I got to earn it. Or maybe it's because like we we just feel like we 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 got to punish ourselves a little bit. I've done so much wrong stuff. I got to do better. So I'm going to go to Sinai. And and we even make ourselves think we're being more godly by doing that. That's what the Pharisees did. We think we we are making ourselves somehow more holy people by living in Sinai and we're living a defeated life because we cannot satisfy the justice of God at Sinai, only at Zion. And and I'm not talking Christians here who started here and go over here. It's a miserable miserable place to live. You can't do it, it's impossible to reach God at Sinai. Listen, listen. If you're a Christian here today and you want to hear from God, you want to see God, get to Sinai, or Zion, <laughs> get to Zion, not Sinai. You can't get close at Sinai. You say, that makes sense. I want to do better. I want to try harder. Go to Zion and let God lavish himself upon you. It goes against our thinking, but it's so true. It's the truth. You can't do it at Sinai. Let's go to verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So we've been contrasting these two mountains, Sinai and Zion. I think we're making it fairly clear up here. but what about the one who says, nah, you know what, forget about Zion. I, I, I'm more comfortable. I need to live in Sinai for a while. These verses, I think, are very clear. And they give us that there's, there are consequences for rejecting Zion. There are extreme, serious consequences for rejecting Zion. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. That's what the Bible says. See to it you do not refuse him to, to refuse him who speaks. God is speaking this new covenant to us, this sprinkled blood of Jesus, this new way, this new Mount Zion, the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. It says, Do not refuse Him who speaks. This is God's extended grace to us. See to it that we don't, we don't refuse Him who speaks to us. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, that's at Sinai, much less will we if we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven. On Sinai... What were the consequences? On Sinai, those that rejected in Sinai, some of them died in the wilderness. And they didn't, get the, they didn't go to the promised land. They, they missed out on some stuff. But those that reject this greater covenant, with a greater covenant, there comes a greater consequence. Those that reject Zion, look at verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There is a shaking coming. That's bigger than any shaking we can possibly imagine. So, I didn't plan on this, but I did it in first service because it just came to my mind then, so I'm going to tell you this, guys. Now, when I was uh, a kid, I loved math. Well, I didn't love it, but I did well in it. I did well in math and English and all those subjects, but science I absolutely hated. I hated science. Anybody here, y'all, hate science? Okay. You should love it because you go to school and it's a good thing. I hated science, okay? Every year in science, there's this thing that you have to do called the Science Fair Project. Do y'all still do those? No, we don't do those anymore? Okay, I I hated that. So there was always that one kid who was like seven who made the volcano. Yeah, like he did it by himself, right? You know, so there's always that big volcano kid. Johnny, do you make volcanoes? You do, don't you? You look like a... Oh, Terrence, all right. So there's always that one volcano, but here's here's what I did. I did the same science. (laughs) This is not advice, by the way, to the teenagers and kids, but... It did work, so um, I did the same science fair project every single year because I moved a lot, too, <laughs> so new school, and I didn't know what I did, so it kind of worked. Um, my dad was in the Navy, so I got to do the same thing, but what I did, y'all ever seen an ant farm? Okay, so what you do is you put on these gloves, and I just went out in the yard with a big jar, and I actually scooped up ants, and I'd put them in this jar, and I'd put them there, and i put them on a dresser, and then wait about two or three weeks, and they make these little ant little tunnels and stuff whatever and then you just go to wikipedia or something we didn't have it then but you know whatever and write this little poster about ants are cool you know and that kind of stuff and then you get your B and you're done you're good all right you know I didn't care if I went to regionals and state and all that I didn't really care you know I got a B I'm good I'm done so I tell you all that to tell you this when, when when it was all over and I got my B and I'm happy everything's good I would take that little ant jar <laughs> sadistic <laughs> you know, And so, yeah, they still lived, I think. But um, ants, they're durable. You can't kill them, right? So I'd shake it up. But so all those little tunnels that they had formed over all that time, they're gone. They're, everything is gone. This picture just popped in my mind. that God is going to shake this earth once again. And everything that we've created that we think is so good and so awesome and so incredible, it's gone. Everything is shaken. Everything is gone. Only one thing is going to remain. The only things that are going to remain are the things that are holy. That's why holiness is so important. That's why we're on week 13. The only things that are left are the things that are holy, that are purified, that are of God. Everything else. And that's the way we want it, right? I mean, at first it sounds like, oh, that's horrible. No, it's not horrible because we want to be in this Zion where everything is perfect. That's what we want. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's a great shaking and everything that's not perfect and holy is gone. Listen, in this earth, there's a lot of things can happen to us. A lot of things will happen to us. Kids, you're going to have, this is so encouraging what I'm about to say, but you're going to have heartbreaks in your life. You're going to have people die. You're going to have just horrible things are going to happen. That's not encouraging, right? You don't come to church to be discouraged. But let me just tell you the truth. That's going to happen in this lifetime. Adults, we know this to be true, right? We've lost people. We've lost jobs. We've had financial struggles at times. We've had stuff happen to us. But can I tell you, there's one thing that can't be shaken. That's the holiness of God in your life. You can take everything from me in this life, but you can't take that away. Paul said, for me to live, to to die is gain. What did he say? Live is good, to die is gain? (laughs) Yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can take everything in this world away from me, but you can't take that away from me. I cannot be shaken. I can be shaken, but you can't shake that away from me. The holiness of God is the only thing that's going to remain. And that's what Mount Zion is all about. God is going to shake everything up. And so, we look at this and we go, "This is." I, I, I liked it better when we were just talking about the love and, and, and not all this doomsday stuff, but I've got to be truthful to you. I've got to tell you what's in the Bible here. The book of Hebrews, the writer wants us to understand this greater covenant. There's a greater consequence for those that reject it. So, along those lines, there's this common misconception about the Old Testament and the New Testament. You guys have probably heard this many, many times. It's, it's kind of a stereotypical interpretation. But with many stereotypes, it doesn't necessarily mean there's truth in it, because there's not truth in this stereotype, but it's widely believed. And this is how the stereotype goes. In the Old Testament, we have this old, mean, and grumpy God that is wrathful and judgmental. But in the New Testament, we have this benevolent Santa Claus, happy-go-lucky grandpa God that's just ready to to lavish us with love. And it even sounds like a little bit today, like that's what I've been saying. But can I tell you that, that... He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament, forever. He doesn't change. All of this is still the same. But that's a stereotype that you've probably heard, maybe even identified with at some point. But in this stereotype, in the Old Testament, for us to believe that, we're having to deny the mercy, the love, the grace of God that is throughout the Old Testament. It takes a really hard and difficult reading of the Old Testament to miss this. God loved His people in the Old Testament. He is a God of love in the Old Testament. Likewise, in the New Testament, we have a God that has judgment in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We can't miss the love of God in the Old Testament. We can't miss the judgment of God in the New Testament. There's way more mercy in the Old Testament than people can possibly imagine, and there's way more judgment in the New Testament than we can possibly even consider. Just take the topic of hell alone. You know who talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus. Somebody said it. Jesus. Yeah, He's the loving one, right? That's my hipster Jesus, right? Yeah, That's what we, that's what we created God, to, Jesus to be. Like, hey, come to me. You know, and Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. You know why? Because it's true, and it's real. And He loves us enough to tell us the truth. There's way more love in the Old Testament you can imagine. There's way more judgment in the New Testament than people want to consider. I hear it all the time. Don't judge. Judge not lest you be judged yourself, taken totally out of context. Judgment's not in the New Testament. That's an Old Testament thing, but God's now a God of He's not a God of judgment. It's not true. God is still the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, same God, same God. But we have these two mountains, and I think it's pointing us a picture here. Here's the contrast. God says that all is going to be shaken. And for some of us, this is happening now. Maybe some of us, there's a little bit of shaking going on in our lives. I I kind of think like an earthquake, like it's the tremors before. We don't really have those here. But, you know, if you were out west, you would understand this. The tremors that come before the big one. So for some of us, there's a little bit of shaking going on now. God is shaking up some things in our lives just to kind of get us, get our attention. And what He's doing is shaking off some of the dust. Shaking off some of the unholy things and saying, I want to purify you. I want to make you holy. And God, when we come to Zion, God does it for us. You see that? When we go to when we go to Sinai, we got I gotta earn this. I got I gotta make myself holy. You can't make yourself holy. When we go to Zion, you're giving God permission to shake you up. Great news, right? Great news. But when He shakes us up, the things that remain are the things that cannot be shaking. So there's there's shaking going on now, tremors. But one day, there's a major shaking coming. There's a shaking coming, and only those things which are purified, only those things which are holy are going to be the things that are left. That's all nothing else, and that is going to be the kingdom of God. Everything's purified. Everything is perfect. So the key in all of this, if we were in an actual earthquake, the key in all of this is where you're standing. So if we were actually in an earthquake, if you're out west, if you're in the middle of a desert, you know, you might shake, and like, whoa, this is crazy, you know, <laughs> but you'd be probably all right. You might fall down, but you'd be okay. But if you're in the middle of the city, you're in San Francisco, and you're standing in the middle of skyscrapers, and things start leaning and falling over, and bricks are going everywhere, it's bad, right? So where you're standing makes all the difference when the shaking comes. So my question to you today is, where are you standing? Are you standing on what Jesus has done on the cross? Or are you standing on your own efforts that you're putting forth where you stand makes all the difference in the world. Look at verse 27 with me. Since says, The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is the created thing, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. I hear God speaking figuratively, and He shakes us up. Like I said, the tremors in our lives, He shakes us up in our, our marriages, and in our home lives, and our finances, our jobs, these kind of things... He shakes us up to remove these things. But the principle of Mount Zion is that not everything, not everything is just perfect at Mount Zion. There's still a great deal of shaking. It's not like this. It's not like over here at Mount Sinai, it's bad, and at Mount Zion, it's good. Everything is happy, happy at Zion. It's not like that at all. It's all about the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's all about the foundation over here. If we are over here, no matter what shaking happens, I cannot be shaken because my foundation is solid. It's all about the foundation. It is so easy for us to say, I want to be at Sinai and do better, when we should be at Zion going, I cannot be shaken. But it's not because of anything I do, it's all because of what Jesus has done. Too simple, right? Look at verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all. For our God is a consuming fire. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful, worship God acceptly with reverence, and all this is worship. So it, it, we come here and we sing these songs. You know we work ourselves up sometimes, and the lights are all good. No, it, it is not about that. Worship is truly about understanding that we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I can't be shaken. And so, God, thank you. <laughs> with reverence and awe, I thank you this morning. God, I worship you. I worship you with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. Mm. This means that I've received part of this in promise, but I- I'm going to receive all of this one day in totality. One day, I'm going to be a part of a kingdom that is completely and totally purified and holy, and nothing, nothing's going to change. After everything is shaken out, everything is gone. I'm thinking about the old Etch-A-Sketch. Remember you could spend hours and just draw the straight lines, you remember that? And then you could, and it's all gone. That's the way the world is going to be. Everything is going to be wiped clean, and it's going to be pure, and it's holy. It's the big whiteboard up here where everything that's unholy is written on it. And one day God's going to shake it up and he's just going to take a big eraser and go, it's all gone, it's all clean, it's all good. That is the unshakable kingdom of God that we get at Mount Zion. And that's who we worship, the unshakable kingdom, the unshakable God. Every religion in this world has an earn it and deserve it, except ours. That's what's different about Christianity. Every religion in this world says something to the effect of, there's stuff you've got to do. Our religion says, I can't do it. He's done it. I accept it. That's the unshakable kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's Mount Zion. Let us be thankful. Let us worship God acceptably, with reverence, with awe. I win. We win, church. We win. We're on the winning team. We cannot be shaken. I hope you believe that this morning. We cannot be shaken. And then here it is. Our God is a consuming fire. So, oh goodness. So we started today with Sinai, with this fire and this brimstone and this, all this cloud and stuff. And so we were like, this is hard. We can't get to God because there's a fire there, right? And so it, it, we just can't do it. And, and they were afraid. And now we've talked about Zion being this incredible place where we believe it and receive it. Now I'm ending this whole passage with... Our God is a consuming fire. Oh, gracious, are you serious? We circled all the way back around to this consuming fire thing. Yeah, we we did. But here's the deal. Here's the great news. There's still a fire because it's still got to be purified. It's still got to be made holy. But here's the thing. The fire isn't for us. It was for Jesus. God is a consuming fire, and He burned all of the sin and all the unrighteousness in the whole world. He burned it. He burned it. He burned it on the cross with Jesus And when we believe that and we receive that, God is now my consuming fire because He's burned every single bit of my mess. Do you believe that? Your mess is gone. I know some of you struggle with this because you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I hear you. But the things I've done, you just don't know. You know, I don't know. And I don't care is the wrong words because I do care. But God doesn't care because God says you are forgiven. Hear that today. Jesus took the price for you. God is the consuming fire that has paid the penalty for every single one of your sins on the cross. Jesus paid it. The blood sacrifice. Man, if nobody else leaves out here revived, I am. This is awesome. All right. We're no longer obligated to the covenant given on Mount Sinai. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) We're not obligated to the Ten Commandments? Well... Sort of, but not really. Yeah, we're under a new covenant now. We're not under the old covenant. Does that mean you go out and murder? No, let's get to this here in a second, okay? We're not obligated to the covenant at Mount Sinai. We're obligated to the new covenant that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. I want to read one more passage to you today. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 10. This is so good. I mean, this is so good. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. (coughs) This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws, where does it say? Where does it say? In their minds. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant that's given to us. So it's not like there's not law still, but here's the difference. The law is not given to us on stone tablets for us to memorize and remember. No, the law is written onto our hearts and into our minds. It's seared into us. And not only is it put inside of us where we instinctively know what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, God gives us this God conscious Not only is it in there, but God says, not only that, I'm with you. I'm equipping you. I'm guiding you. I'm directing you. Over here at Sinai, God said, here's the laws. Now, good luck. To show His holiness. And they what they did, they couldn't do it, so they went and built this golden calf and they worshipped it a month later. On Mount Zion... God says, Jesus has paid the price for you. And now, because of that, I'm writing the law on your heart and on your mind. And not only that, I'm with you. I'm not with you over here. I'm with you over here. God says, you can't get close to me over here. If you get close, you're going to die. Here, he says, I'm coming in. I'm with you. Do you see that? God's with us, church. He's with us. He's with us. He is equipping us to do the things that he has told us to do. I'm writing on your heart. And on Sinai, we couldn't even come close. On Zion, God comes to us. Don't miss it. This part two. it says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Some of you struggle with that. God says, you say, when you say right now, yeah, but what about? God says, what are you talking about? <laughs> what sin are you talking about? He's already forgotten it. You are forgiven. But I know our tendency is so hard ingrained in us to be on Mount Sinai and go... But I, I've done some bad things, so I've got to pay some type of penance for this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay over here for a while. That's our nature. You can't do it. You are forgiven. God says, I forgive your wickedness, and I'll remember your sin no more. No mas. It's gone. That was Spanish. <laughs> Seems so easy and clear, right? <clears throat> Yet so many Christians still struggle with this. We have Zion. Yet we, we like it at Sinai. We want to be there. It just seems like the way to do it. Can I, just, can I tell you this morning that Satan is very good at what he does. He's been doing it a very long time. And, and one of Satan's biggest tricks is to take a principle of God and to twist it and pervert it just enough to confuse us and to destroy us even. And so particularly what we're talking about here today, so Satan will take a message like this. Take, Satan will take something like this, and he'll, he'll put his, these little whispers into our head and go, you've heard this kind of message before, but you, you, you can't do this. You, you've heard this holiness thing, and, but you can't do it. But oh, Here's what Satan will twist it, though. He goes, but maybe you can. Maybe you can live holy and live for God. Here's how you've got to do it. You've got to get over here. You've got to earn it. <laughs> you've got to deserve it. You've got to work hard for this holiness. So, so Satan is taking this, this principle of God, the holiness of God, but he's twisting it and saying, now work harder at it, and try harder, and try harder. And he's whispering in that dream and going, yeah, I knew you'd fail, but you can do it better, so try it again tomorrow. And then you fail again, you, He's you try it again tomorrow. And The whole time we're standing over here and we're missing the believing and the receiving, we're missing the love of God that God is going to lavish upon us. You can't get to holiness of God by fear, you can only get to it by love. But Satan whispers in our ears, so you know what happens? You know what we should do when this little whisper comes in our ear and Satan is saying these little things about try harder, do better, you can't do it, all these little things, here's what we do. We put our foot down and say, not today, Satan, not today. This is not my mountain. Some of you in here today, you need to hear that. This is not my mountain. I am not on this Mount Sinai. you got to make a decision. Some of you have been living on Mount Sinai your whole life and you're trying to earn it and deserve it and earn it and deserve it and you can't do it. Not today, Satan. This is not my mountain. But you know what my mountain is? My mountain's over here. This is my mountain. This is my mountain. Right here. Mount Zion, because of another mountain, Mount Calvary. This is my mountain. The blood of Jesus poured out on this cross for me. The blood of Jesus. This is my mountain. Mount Zion. Church, this is where it's at. God, thank you for your love, your forgiveness. God, thank you. What you poured out on the cross, what you did is something I couldn't do. I can't do it. You did it, God. God, thank you. Over here, this mountain is full of fear. It's it's death. This mountain is full of love, and God says, "I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm at this mountain with you. The mountain of God. This is my mountain. This mountain over here is, is full of fear. This mountain is full of love. What mountain? What mountain are you at this morning? Where are you living? Church. I, I gosh, I got all worked up. This is the mountain. This is the moment.